If you will, take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 16 as, as we look at uh, Resolute today. And I'm excited about this day. You know, I, I thank you for being a part of the celebration for about 20 years of being here as pastor. As I shared in my, my uh, word to you last week, no pastor gets here on his own 20 years. It takes a great church. It takes people coming together and God providing the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's how we had this journey together for 20 years. As I look back, it's been a great 20 years. I, as I shared in, in, in our previous message. But I begin to think as I was spending time in the convention this week, what's my next 20 years going to look like? And what do we need to be doing together for the next 20 years? And this is a part of it. Resolute. I, I, I want us to look at this for a minute and understand as we had a great convention Elected our first African-American president of the Southern Baptist Convention, and I was delighted. I got interviewed by a news reporter, and uh, they caught me. uh, I was heading into the convention, and uh, she said, are you you with the convention? I had my name tag on you. I said, yes, ma'am. And uh, she said, really? Well, are you excited about the convention? I said, yes, ma'am. We talked for a few minutes. She said, what do you think about the first African-American president for the Southern Baptist Convention. And before I can answer, she said, now, uh, tell me, are you from the South? I said, yes, ma'am, I'm from Georgia. Can't you tell? <laughs> Not everybody talks like this. And, and uh, she, said, she said, what do you think about this? And I said, I think it's great that we're tearing down walls. Dr. Luter's a great man, great preacher, loves Jesus, preaches the word, took a church that had it run about 8,000. Katrina came and destroyed it all. He chose to stay and rebuild from the rubbling with a handful of just, and then begin to grow it back. He could have gone anywhere in the country. He's a great man, loves God, loves to see people saved. And I said, I'm excited that he's going to be our president. He has my full support. You see, the convention has been in decline for several years. And it will probably continue the next two or three years. I think it's going to turn around. I believe it is going to turn around. Uh, but in our last percentage of giving, we averaged 5.63%, I believe it was, uh, of giving. And it has gone down every year. Uh, some people have done some studies and determined that if we go to 4% average giving across the country, we will go out of business as a convention. Well, if it's going down every year and uh, we're on a timeline... So what is it we need to do that helps us turn that around? Well, our convention is doing this. We're trying to build relationships with our African-American brothers and sisters in Christ, our Hispanic brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're trying to reach out and really embrace the younger generations. It's very important we do that. If not, we'll die a slow death. And it's not God's fault. It'll be ours because we choose to stay the way we are without changing. And so here's what I want you to get today. What we're talking about is what I believe God has for us in the future. Uh, As a church together, there's so many things he's doing to bless. So uh, I want us to look at 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 14. It says, be alert, stand firm in the faith, be brave and strong. Your every action must be done with love. If we all practice that last verse, we'd be a lot better off. Not some action. Not a few actions, but every action be done with love. Wow. That means respect and grace toward one another. Let's look at the word in the message, the translation, the message, or the paraphrase, the message. It says this. Keep your eyes open. Hold 
tight your convictions. Give it all you got. Be resolute. And love without stopping. I like that. Resolute. What does it mean? It means unwavering firmness and determination. Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, it had all kinds of problems now. They were not a perfect church. I mean, read the letter. He starts out, they're in trouble. They're having disagreements and factions and division. They're having some immorality. They're taking each other to court. Uh, they don't know what to do about uh, marriage and divorce. They had all kinds of stuff going on. I mean, they just didn't know what to do with people. They didn't know how to... Pro- it was just a tough thing. Uh, and they were judging one another. They were mean to one another. Uh, and he's saying, you know, out of all this... he. 1 Corinthians 13 is a great chapter of love, trying to explain them how they're supposed to function. And so finally, he comes to the closing part of the letter, and he gives us some encouragement. He said, guys, I want to tell you, here's what you need to do. Let's pull it all together. God's not through with you just because you're not perfect. Isn't that good news for all of us? And so he says, here's what I want you to get. Resolute. Let's talk about that. Because it's more than just another worship service. It should be the mindset of every believer here at First Baptist Lindale for all three of our worship services and everything else we do. So as we look at this, first of all, there's boldly presenting Jesus Christ beyond cultural boundaries. Wow. Boldly presenting Jesus Christ beyond all cultural boundaries. When Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, he's saying, guys, I want you to be alert and awake. Pay attention. Why? I think there's two reasons you need to pay attention. Number one, to watch out for the obstacles that are in your way. You need to pay attention to what's around you and what can hurt you. And so uh, you look for the obstacles. I think there's three of them that we need to pay attention to. Number one is satanic opposition. When you start doing something for God, your family starts doing something for God, you start doing for something for God as an individual, the church comes together and does something for God, there's going to be satanic opposition. He hates us. He doesn't like us. So he is going to try to become an obstacle to where God wants us to go. First uh, Peter 5, 8 says, He walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's on the move. He's on the prowl. He's looking to devour us, whether we're young or old or middle-aged. He doesn't care. He's not really uh, a respecter of any kind of person. He just goes after you if you're a follower of Christ. And so... Um, he said, we've got to be watching for that. And he has a strategy he unfolds. He, he gets us with our lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. And that's where he kind of camps out in all of our lives. And so we have to pay attention to that. And see that as an obstacle to where God wants us to go. So that's one thing we've got to look for in opposition, in obstacles. Also, there's false doctrine. Today, there's a lot of things that aren't true that are being preached in churches. There's blatant materialism being preached in churches. There is universalism being presented as a as the a grand theme of God's plan for the universe. Everybody's going to get to go to heaven. Well, that is a fictitious statement. This book says that everyone's going to get to heaven. This book says there has to be a deciding process in your heart to respond to God's invitation to life. And if you reject that, you don't go to heaven. That's what this book says. And this book's never wrong. It doesn't matter what guys are saying out there. Love only wins if you receive Christ. And so, but that's a doctrine out there that's very prevalent right now. And it's become very popular by many circles. And say, well, that's what I really want to believe. It doesn't matter. You may want to believe it. That doesn't make it true. 
And so we have to be aware of that and be alert to know that doesn't match up with the word of God. And then there's the third thing, which is indifference. And that, that, is, that is, happens within the church. I was at the convention talking to a lot of different guys. And it's a good time to see guys we haven't seen since we've been in school together and, and a lot of times of reunion. But we talk about what's going on in our churches, what's happening around our, the country. And uh, the one key factor seemed to surface as I was discussing life. And one is the indifference of people, the indifference to the gospel the indifference to the Great Commission within church people's lives, just a, an indifference to what God's trying to do and what he wants to do. We've become very comfortable. We like convenience, and we don't like change, and therefore we become indifferent to anything that would stir us out of our comfort zone. Uh, we become indifferent to the proclamation and power of the good news of Jesus. That good news is real simple. It's that Jesus was the Son of God who left heaven, came to earth, lived a sinless life, died on a cross, shed his blood to cover my ugly, ungodly life. I mean, it was ugly, and so was yours, incidentally. We were bankrupt in righteousness. We were horrifying to be looked at from God's point of view. And yet he loved us through the cross in such a way that they would cover our ugliness, and he would give us a beauty to have forever in him. And then, to validate that it would work, he, wrote the, he, he raised Jesus up the third day from the grave, and now we look forward to his coming one day. That's the good news. There's going to be a new heaven, new earth, and we're going to be with him, and it's all going to be good. We won't need banks, and we don't have to count calories. It's going to be great. That's good news. People need to know they're not hopelessly lost in their ugliness. Okay? And we get to tell them that. And so, so we, we said, I got a remedy for how bad you are and what was wrong with you. So that's what, we, but there's a danger of becoming indifferent to how we do that. And then as we look at opportunities, moving, uh, opportunities are moving out of our comfort zones to communicate that gospel. Uh, we are to be missional, starting in the very shadow of our church building. It's great to be missional around the world. I want to be missional around the world. Well, I'm Southern Baptist, but I want to be missional here because there's people within the shadow of this church that need Jesus. And we need to understand, so when we talk about resolute, we're talking about what does that mean and how does that affect us as a body of believers together, every one of us. That means are we willing to do what it takes? Uh, I want to talk about this Sunday night service for just a minute, not because it's going to be better than what we do on Sunday morning. It's going to be different from what we do on Sunday morning. I love what we do. So what we do on Sunday morning works. We have had decisions 20 out of 26 Sundays. What we do works. You know, when I came here, we, we packed 11 o'clock and we had to go. We said, what are we going to do? We can't put visitors in. Y'all were so awesome to say, well, let's go to an early worship service. And we did. And we've been doing one ever since. Choir's awesome. They do double duty every week. What we do here is amazing. Honestly. At, at 8.30 crowd, you know, we're going to work on that. That's gonna, that they, they help us because they give us seats for the 11 o'clock for visitors to come. And the truth is, it's summertime now, but even this is a great crowd. But in fall, buddy, we're full. Where are we going to put people that want to come to church? And the truth is, some of them may not want to really come to church here, but they want, they want to kind of find Jesus. So what can we possibly do that can make that happen? So uh, for me, it became, let's do a third worship service. Uh, uh, 
and, and have, a, have it where it appeals to a whole different group of people. And let's do it on Sunday night at, at 6.30. And while what we're doing is working, we're not, what, I love what we do at 11, 8.30. I love it. Man, it's awesome. I love the choir, man. I, I, I recommend our choir to sing up stuff all the time. Don't want to ever be without the choir. But the truth is, that don't reach everybody. And since 70% of our county is unchurched, I don't think we can say, I don't care that you don't like our choir. I think we have to say, what can we do that can help draw you in to hear the gospel, man? What can we do to show you the love of Christ? Uh, and so this is a very true thing. Uh, we, we look at this. Four out of five, in a, in a latest uh, Barner research, four out of five people claim to be Christian in the country. Now, we know that's not true because if that was true, every church would be having three worship services in the county. So we know that isn't true. So then you ask another question, well, how many of you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And then it went to two out of that four, all right? And yet, when you ask that two out of the four what they believe about the Bible, one out of that two believes the Bible is not trustworthy. And one out of two believe that there's more than one way to heaven. And one out of two believe that praying to the Muslim God and the Christian God are the one and the same. That's one out of two. Do you understand we're a minority of a minority? And how do we break through that? How do we reach those two that think they're Christians and are not? And what do we do about that other one that, that's really confused about how Christianity works? And the truth is, we've got to figure out different ways to add to our arsenal of punching holes in the darkness. What we do is great on Sunday morning, but it's not enough. It's just not enough. We need to do more. If that's the case, what I want to share with you is kind of what's going to be going on. Uh, first of all, uh, we're going to, uh, it'll be different, resolutely be different because they're going to have a band. They're not going to have a choir. Uh, they're going to be loud. Some of you won't like that, and you don't need to go. Don't necessarily want you to go. I, I, I'm just, hey, everybody's supposed to go there on Sunday night. There are some who would love to go there on Sunday night. So I don't like the loud music. Well, sometimes God does great things with loud music. Charles Hayden Spurgeon, who was saved the age of 15, was on his way to church. It was a bad Sunday in England, and the snows had come, and he was trying to go to his normal church, and he couldn't get there. And he took a turn down a side street to the Methodist church. He was going to the Methodist church that had the reputation of having loud music. Here's what they said about this Methodist church. The music's so loud, it'll give you a headache. Sound familiar? All right. And so, and so they, they, he went, and he said, it's true. The music was so loud, I got a headache. But I also heard a message. The pastor couldn't be there, so a layman got up because of the weather. And he said, look unto Jesus and be saved. And he shared a little sermonette. And he said, I looked unto Jesus and I was saved. Guys, I understand God uses a lot of different ways to reach people. We ain't all supposed to be the same. We aren't supposed to like the same stuff. And so we realize that we've got to be different, creating a different setting and atmosphere that allow people to come. It won't look like this. It's going to be in a basement. Show those pictures. Can you guys plug those pictures in, brother? I'm going to show you what we did. I've been here 20 years, and we've had this, this basement over here that we've done nothing with. We had a pool in it for a while, and we used it until we realized we couldn't keep the water balanced 
to avoid liability of E. coli. So we drained it, closed it down. And then we had, we actually had water leak out of it thousands of gallons a week. Okay, had a small leak, couldn't figure it out. And it was never a problem because the water was always coming from the mill. But when the mill shut the water off, we, okay, we can't keep putting water in there. So here's the thing. Also, my thinking was, if I've lost thousands and thousands and thousands of gallons of water, what has it done under the building? What has it eroded? Do we have, are we sitting just on a hole that we ain't collapsed yet? And so I was very hesitant to do anything or spend any money over there. I was like, didn't talk about it much. I'm going, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Because I remember what happened at Barry, everything started falling in the ground. We had that, remember we had that really serious drought and the water tables went up really, really low. And if there was any sinkholes, everything fell in. The building didn't fall in. I said, we're good. We must not have a sinkhole. We're okay. It's great. We can use this. It's great. And we began doing some things. And we began to say, let's, what can we do? We had a conversational weekend. We talked about our facilities. And we're in the process of putting new bathrooms in down the hall here. We're going to do some things around the campus. We've been doing some things on the top, on the top of the CLC. And now we're fixing to go into the basement. We voted as a church to put to upgrade the basement to make it usable. We've been doing that. Now we we voted. We, take, we said it take eight thousand dollars or nine thousand dollars to kind of fill in the pool and and get us a surface. Well, how, you all know the first bid on remodeling is never the right one. It ended up costing twenty one thousand dollars. But we all know what that's like, don't we? Because we all been there. Yeah. Okay. But now we have, it's a great surface. We can do amazing things with it. Uh, and so uh, I thought, that's awesome. Well, we were going to put uh, Simple Treasures down there. And then the, the space is huge and it's not probably ideal. But I was kind of wanting to put the third worship service upstairs. The, the properties committee said, that's not a good move from a stewardship standpoint. It'll cost us twice as much money to do the, do the, do the uh, air and things of that nature. It'll be impossible to almost keep cool in the summer, uh, and it's just not good stewardship to have to remodel it. We can go downstairs, do it for probably a half the money, and, and the utilities would be almost nominal every month. It's just a better move. Simple Treasure said they'd be willing to go upstairs. We can go downstairs, and we're going to be able to put in a worship center, also give the youth a place for their identity because it'll be, the downstairs will be theirs. They'll use it on Wednesday night. The other rooms they can use. Uh, there'll be a coffee shop down there. We're going to do a lot of things that make it unique uh, and give it some character and identity of its own. It's a third worship service. Uh, it's an opportunity to expand how we reach people. We are supposed to go out and compel people to come. They've had some amazing work days. They've had... Uh, People show up every Sunday for the, I mean, every Saturday for the last three Saturdays, and do incredible things over there. Look at the pictures. Okay, go through them again. Okay, that's the that's the bathroom there. They've taken the ceiling out. That's where the coffee shop's going to be. That's the brick that'll be. We're taking the sheetrock off that. That is stuff that was looking like that before we started working. All right. And that's the ladies' restroom in the far back corner, left side of the building. That's in horrible condition. It's going to be looking great. Uh, that's the men's restaurant have been used in 20 years. It's going to be looking good. They're working on that. All these things are coming together. That's the pool, wall around the pool area that had been devastated by water uh, and just uh, affected badly. All this is changing as we speak. We're going to use what we have, what God has given us, we're going to use to our maximum. And that's why I'm excited about how we're doing this and what we're doing to work. That's why the basement.
And you know what? I went to the guys and they said, hey, we're okay with this. We'd love it. And so they're excited about doing the basement. So I think God has put this together and it seems to work so well. Say, well, I don't understand why, you know, just why don't they come? Why don't we do it as a third worship service here? Because there's some people that will not come to this building. Plain and simple. They just won't. Talking to a buddy of mine at the convention. He was a state missionary. He's been to Alaska on a, state, on a mission trip. Carried a bunch of young people. And they went to an area. They had a church there. They were trying to help this church. And they began to, they were doing some home Bible study stuff, which is my next thing on my agenda. Hopefully starting next year, we'll be able to put some home Bible studies together where you can have six or eight people at your house and do a Bible study. Great way to, for singles to come together and do stuff. And for young, it's great, young marriage is a great way to grow and, and develop. And senior adults, how to reach people who would not normally come to Sunday school. I'm all, I mean, I'm all trying, what can we do? What's the next thing we can do? And I was talking about that. And he said, you're not going to believe this, but in January, we're unveiling a new process for home Bible study. And this is coming out of the Sunday school department. I said, you guys, awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Let me know. I want to be first on your list. So how can we do these things that are so different? Well, he's up there unveiling this and using this in a pagan culture, in an unchurched community, and they're doing home Bible studies, and the people are loving it. They're coming, and it's coming time for him to leave. They say, can we continue to do this? He said, yes, please, and he left it. That's fine. So the day he's leaving, he's talking to some of these people, a lot of them are young people, and they said, why don't you come on in the church? They said, no, we're not, we can't, we're not going to go to church. He said, oh, come on in the church. Come on in the church, okay, come on. He said, no, we're not going to go in the church. And he said, I first thought, you know, so well, they, they, were, they were definitely different. They, had, they were all pretty much tattooed up, pierced out, and, and kind of strange hair. He said, but that's all right. You know, and I said, y'all come on in. They said, no, no, we, we won't go in the church. And finally he said, tell me why you won't come in. I mean, y'all kind of, I mean, why won't you come in the church? And here's what they said. They said, those people don't want us to come in. Now, listen to me. You say, well, preacher, that ain't true. I don't know if it's true or not. But I've been doing ministry for, for about 35 years. And the truth is, a lot of people feel that way, whether it's true or not. Those people don't want me to come down to that church. I don't dress as nice as they do. I don't look the way they do. I don't talk the way they do. They don't want me to come to that church. And the truth is, there's people in this community that believe that, whether it's true or not. I know y'all are people who love people, but they don't. And the truth is, they're too afraid to take the chance. When it's all said and done, they're just too afraid to take the chance. Does that mean we ignore them and say, that's just too bad? Y'all just go to hell. I can't do that. I won't do that. Find a way. You find a way. The second thing is continually extending grace by building bridges and not walls. Wow. Love keeps us balanced. It keeps us becoming hard-hearted. It keeps, it keeps us becoming, from becoming firm in our faith to hard in our faith. That's why love is so important. It, it keeps us from uh, our strengths becoming legalistic. 
Love's real important. Love's amazing. He said, if you do everything in love, you're going to end up where you're supposed to be, right next to God's heart. And that's where I want us to be, guys, together. I love it. Relevant, bold love together. Austin Wiggins did a great job on that. He made everybody look good in that video. And you know how some of them really look in life. He did a good job. Amazing talent. Love builds bridges, not walls. It figures, makes a way for you to come to Christ. When our love is evident, everybody knows it. Uh, some time ago, I, I had a tooth pulled. And, uh, you know, the process, they go in, they take the tooth out, and you gotta, it's gonna, you're going to bleed all day, and, and it hurts. And so it was that morning, uh, early morning, I didn't forget, it was like 8.30, I got the tooth pulled, and he gave me prescription, gave me pain medication, stuck the gauze in and said, look, about couple of days, just be, you know, be relaxed, don't do anything, take it easy. I did have my mouth like this, you know, and, and I'm, I'm, I get, you know, and, 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 uh, uh, Charlene gets me home. And so then, uh, she says, I, I got to run, pick up some stuff for Vicky and I, I'm going to run to Walmart. And I said, okay, all right. And, uh, and so I'm just kind of like, I'll just take it easy here, not worry about anything. Well, uh, some time passes, and I get a phone call, and I pick up my phone. And she says, look, I'm out here in front of Walmart, and a couple of people say they need some help. And, and they're talking to me, and what should I do? Now, she is tenderhearted. She has a gift of mercy, and she'll help anybody, everybody. And I said, okay, first of all, you don't need to help them because we don't know. And I don't know these people, and there's two of them. And so, listen, I need you to... Tell them you'll go inside and get them some help or call someone and get some help, but you need to kind of move away from the situation. And, and so she says, okay. And then I'm thinking she really has a heart of compassion and no telling what they told her. So I could see her, you know, going to the, you know, going to the closest ATM and getting money. I can see all this happening, okay? Bear in mind, I was still on drugs. So, so it was like I've seen all kind of weird stuff could take place. And, and so... I decided I'll call her back, make sure she's okay. Well, she didn't answer her phone. Now, that just made me mad. I'm telling you. can't believe she, uh, she's not answering her phone. And so I call her back because I call her back. And I call her back because now I'm concerned, why isn't she answering her phone? And so now, now I'm really thinking what could have happened because they've abducted her, thrown her in a van, taken her to Alabama. Man, I didn't know. And, and, you know, again, I'm on drugs. Hey, I, you know, I don't know. I'm thinking my mind's. So I panic. And I, so I call Walmart. I say, can you page Charlene Burnham and see if she's there? I'm a little concerned what may have happened. And I call the police. I say, can you go by and check? And say, I did, the, I did all this. I did all this. You say, you're making this up. Oh, ask her. She hates this story. The, the, uh, and I've called the police, I've called people, and I'm saying, okay, and so here's what happens. Finally, I can't take it because I'm not hearing anything, and she's not answering her phone. I get in the car, which is pretty bad. I get in the car. I am hurting. I am bleeding. I got gauze. Like that. I'm like, and I'm driving to the Walmart, and I get there. I see the police. They're, they're, they're actually lapping the parking lot. They're looking for her, and 
And here I'm going to talk to them, which I'm sure they're going, what is wrong with you, dude? And so I'm trying to explain to them how to tooth pulled, and here's what's happened. My wife's telling these people, I don't know what's happened. I, you know, she's not answering her phone, so I'm very concerned. And finally, my phone rings, and it's Charlene on the other line. She says, are, are you okay? I said, yes. Are you okay? She says, yes, I got paged, had to come to the desk, had to use their phone to call you. I said, why aren't you answering your phone? She said, my phone's dead. Who goes to the store with a dead phone? That's what I want to know. Don't you charge that thing before you go? Uh, but anyway, the, the, the moral is this. So I don't love my wife. I would do anything. Take care of her. I mean, really. I would do anything to save her life. Because I love her. As a church, we tell people all the time that God loves you, and so do we. Will we do anything? Really? I mean, really. Will we do anything? Will we do what it takes? Will we pay the price? Will we really? What I've discovered, if you love somebody, you really will. You see, I love that guy out there, that woman out there that has a horrendous lifestyle and is different. You know why? Because God loves them. Loves them just as much as he loves me. Somehow we've got to figure out how to reach that person with God's love. That they really believe it's true and not just a story from the Bible. You have a card here. How can you serve? It's got a place to put your name and email or your phone number and places you can plug in. I want to know you're really willing to plug in. Really. I mean, do we really love like God does or just pretty much all talk? Sounds good on Sunday. I want to know. Are we really willing to really do this? I'd like to have about 50 people commit to be part of a seed to plant this thing, get it started off. Uh, Just to kind of invest a little bit extra and, and be involved in doing something that's going to reach people. Hope you will. Well, we're going to do by life at 5, do church at 6.30, and, and it'll be cool. It'll work. Mission team had come back from Africa two weeks prior to the convention. And uh, they were talking about a story of a young woman that they had met. They were there to try to disciple and do some follow-up to those who'd made commitments to follow Christ. In the area of Africa, it is predominantly Muslim. A lot of radical Muslim thinking. And they had met this woman who had become a follower of Christ. She'd shared her testimony of how she'd invited Jesus into her life. She'd come to realize that he was a true Savior. And she'd given him her heart. And they were saying, what is it you really need? What can we do to help you grow? Now, just so you'll know, uh, she's an area where basically... If it becomes public knowledge of her faith in her village, they'll cut her throat. Just so you'll know that. I say that because as I was hearing this story, I'm thinking about as I drove by my seminary campus, my alma mater, New Orleans, the times we had amazing discussions around the library table there. I would sit there as seminary students and talk about Calvinism and Arminianism, and we'll talk about 
predestination and election. We'd talk about the, the various views of the second coming. and We'd talk about seven-day creationism. We'd talk about what was going to happen to the church of the future and what styles would work. And, and uh, we'd talk about whether it was hymns or courses or whether it was ties or no ties and suits or no suits. We talked about all that stuff. We'd debate and talk as all that stuff really mattered. You know the question this young African lady had? How can I share my faith to those around me knowing that I probably will die because of it? She didn't care about courses or hymns, labels of theology, whether they met had church in a hut or outside, she wanted to know how she could share Jesus. It is time for the church to be resolute. I'm not talking about a worship service. I'm talking about your state of existence. A worship service is going to be great just like the 11 o'clock is at the 8.30. But I want you to decide what you can do, how you can be a part of this, for it's time. We take the next step. Extending grace continually beyond and building bridges and not walls.